Let's pray together. God, this morning, we pray that you would help us to be connected through this reading to you and to your divine purpose in our hearts, in our minds, and in our attitudes. Amen. Be reading this morning from Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 28. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 4 through, tw uh, four through 9. I kind of shortened our reading this morning. Um, this is the second creation account. If you didn't notice that there are two creation accounts at the beginning of Genesis, this is the second of them. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then God formed humanity from the dust of the ground, and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and humanity became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put humanity that he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Pray with me. Lord, may we witness in your created order and world around us your goodness, your presence, your face itself, that we might care for it, partake in the joy of its flourishing, and that we ourselves might encounter you in fresh ways through all that you have made. We remember, Lord, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but it is your word that stands forever. Amen. Now, in the yard of my childhood home, there stood a healthy Japanese maple tree. 
Every day when I came home from school, it would greet me at the back door of my house. I would climb its branches at a young age, sometimes getting high enough to see into the yards of our neighbors, sometimes high enough in the bright green leaves to hide and contemplate life as an elementary school boy. My parents transplanted that tree, quite a feat, if you uh, ask me, (laughs) about 25 feet away to the center of our backyard fence, and it grew taller and stronger there. We could look out the kitchen window and watch the seasons change as the year went on with the leaves as they turned color and fell off that tree. I would still climb the tree, now being able to see down our alley and even catch glimpses of the Puget Sound in Edmonds. The story of God begins in a garden, planted with marvelous trees. From these trees come life and knowledge. And the story of God ends with a new tree, planted in the center of the city of God, the New Jerusalem. From this tree, which grows strong beside the river of God, the leaves which grow upon the branches bring healing to all the nations, a sign of welcome, hospitality, and restoration of all creation. Now, from now until the day of Pentecost, we're going to be looking at aspects of the created world, attending to the beauty of God's handiwork and celebrating God's uh, way that humanity belongs with for and among creation. This month we celebrate Earth Day, a day that marks out for the world uh, an opportunity to remember and cultivate this relationship between man and the created world. As the church, we participate in Earth Day as a natural outpouring of our calling to steward and care for God's created world. Now, one clear way that Christians think about the natural world is to remember this calling, this mandate to care for creation and to help it flourish. This is what we understand from the creation accounts in Genesis. While this, my friends, this is an honorable, necessary pursuit, but I also want to reflect for a moment on something else about our relationship with creation. Many of us look at this call to stewardship as something that we should do. It's it's a rule to follow. It's a way to live our lives out. And while that's well and good, I wonder if there's another way to look at things that helps us move beyond shoulds and asks more of a question of why. Why creation? Or perhaps a way to ask it is, what is creation and why do we care for it? Praise God for it. Bear witness to it in ways that we do. Thankfully, there's plenty of helpful theological reflection in our tradition that moves us away from the shoulds of creation care and into the realm of understanding our intimate connection to God through all creation. All creation bears witness to God. The psalmist writes, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Thomas Aquinas, 
whose writings and systems of theology undergird so much of Christian philosophical thought, reflected upon creation with a sense of it being a whole picture of God. He said, the immense diversity and, I practiced this word, pluriformity. Man, if you read Aquinas, he's, it's full of these kind of words. Um, pluriformity of creation more perfectly re represents God than any one creature alone or by itself. Creation as a whole reflects God. The universe in this line of thinking is a whole picture of God's self, declaring the glory of God, proclaiming God's handiwork. Natural theologian Sally McFaig argues that salvation is the direction of all creation, and creation is the very place of salvation. She's arguing that creation itself is the very site of God's work of making all things new and whole. I'm so grateful to have encountered McFaig's writings in seminary because she has given me an imagination for why of creation and how it relates to God. There's a long conversation and caution in Christianity around looking at creation and saying, everything is God. Or, a slight variation, all things are in God. Many folks get hung up in this conversation because they feel that it goes down a road that is too pagan or pantheistic, not differentiating creation from creator. Now, McFaig's writings, though, helped me understand that creation can be seen as the body of God. Physical creation, the whole universe, can be thought of as the physicality of our creator. The creator made manifest in creation. The word that's key here is that God is seen through creation because it is God's creative handiwork lived out and breathed in as we witness things like forests and lands and oceans and streams. It's like a painting and how it tells you so much about the painter. And so creation, this body of God, tells us about God and shows us what God is like. The tree is not God. The tree is God's body expressed. I hope you find this subtle clarity helpful, because I do. We can begin to realize that creation as the body of God moves and move past questions of should we care for creation to a perspective that we are participating in the restoration and flourishing of creation because it is the sight of God's very self revealed. You want to see God? See God at work in God's handiwork of creation. This will be the central thrust of our studies in these next few weeks. And to see and celebrate these aspects of the body of God which calls us into service and praise. Now, it's fitting that we begin a series like this in the weeks following Easter. We are a people who proclaim resurrection from the dead and life from death. And the work of resurrection comes into such focus when we think about how we care for the body of God, the universe, the created order. We're all familiar with threats like climate change and how the created world aches in pains of desecration. We lament the pollution of our forests, streams, oceans, and landscapes. And yet, 
it is also in these places that we can see resurrection happen so clearly. The first major environmental disaster that I remember as a child was the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska's Prince William Sound. Dozens of animal species, plants, and marine habitats were injured by this 11 million gallon spill. It was horrible. We all know this. And yet, over the course of the last 30 years, recovery has begun. Marine animals like the harbor seal and salmon are recovering. Habitats are being restored and continue to come back to life. The spill was horrible, and yet the spill was a site where we witness resurrection. Not only do we witness resurrection in creation, in such places of disaster, God's people actually get to participate in resurrection. Now let's turn to our text in Genesis. Because when we talk about the flourishing of creation, it makes perfect sense to start by talking about trees and forests. The text says that God planted in the garden and placed humanity there. Like trees, humanity was planted in the rich soil of the garden. And in that garden, in that place of fertile soil, where humans were planted to bear witness to the body of God, God made every tree that was good and pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These trees are the foundation of life in the garden. We don't hear as much detail about anything else in the created order, save for humanity, as we do about trees in this opening story. In fact, trees are mentioned more in the Bible than any other living thing other than humanity and God. Not wanting to sound too punny, but trees are the roots of our journey into the body of God. All right, great. <clears throat> trees and forests, they're everywhere in the Scriptures. In the Chronicles, the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord who judges the earth. The cedars of Lebanon, renowned for their beauty and strength, are used as materials to construct Solomon's temple. God's people utilize the created world to make beauty and sacred spaces in which to worship and remember God. In the Psalms, we're reminded that those who put their trust in God are like trees planted by a stream of water. We know that this means they are healthy and full of life because of the sustaining power of the streams. The trees sing in the Psalms as well, as we heard earlier, telling of God's goodness. In Isaiah, we hear of the promised destruction and desolation of the forests as God's people are carried off to exile. Forests being cut down and destroyed speak of a lament to the wickedness of the world, desecration coming to creation because of humanity turning from God. We place a great deal of importance on a tree on which Christ was crucified. The tree, the cross, is the site of God's salvation and restoration. It is on a tree that Christ died, and it is that tree which no longer holds the power of death but now we remember as the place where death was defeated. I'm hoping you're getting a sense for how we can witness God as we reflect upon the created world. Specifically this week, as we consider the trees of the field, 
reminding ourselves that they are part of God's body that provides strength, roots, foundation, and life. And with each of these studies, I'd like to turn us from the Scriptures to something very practical. We have an opportunity to witness the body of God, the presence of God in the created world when we attend to creation all around us. So each week, I'm going to encourage you to practice participating in the created world so that you can bear witness to God's presence manifest. But first, before I challenge you, I want to go back to my Japanese maple. Remember that I climbed that tree a lot as a kid. But when my parents moved away from my childhood home a few years ago, I couldn't go out and climb that tree anymore. I can't just wander into the new owner's yard and gaze at its leaves either. That would just be weird. Um, however, now anytime I see a Japanese maple tree, I'm reminded of a place where I encountered the created world in my earliest years. When I see those trees, I remember a part of myself that was connected to God's creation in a unique way. I feel this with other trees as well. The enormous cedar trees that hem in my parents' new home and the one that overshadows my backyard here in Bellingham. The trees of Whatcom Falls Park where I teach my son about being in creation. The dense thickets of the logging lands on Galbraith Mountain, areas cultivated and cared for by our community to be a place of recreation. And touching the bark of the trees, sitting under the shade of the, uh, of their shade in the summer, hearing the rustle of their branches in the fall breeze, all of these are for me opportunities to see God's handiwork and practice recognizing God's presence. This is why we care for creation. Not because we should, but because in it we see God. So this week I'd like to encourage you to practice seeing God in the created world. Specifically, I want you to go outside and be among the trees. Now take a walk in your favorite Bellingham Park. Go stand under one of those enormous trees on Western's campus. Listen to the branches in the wind. Smell the scent of the bark and the needles and the leaves and the pine cones. If you're having trouble of thinking a place, of a place to go, come sit here at the church on the corner of 14th Street where we have our small prayer garden under the trees with a nice bench to sit on. In these spaces, pray. Listen and find nourishment. What would it be like to see the trees, the forest, as a part of God's body? Not that they are God, but that God is seen through them. How does your care for these places, these trees, forests, and thickets, how does it invite you to praise God? How does our attention to these places invite us to hear God's still, small voice. Perhaps as you visit the trees, the forest, you might want to spend time with a psalm. Start with Psalm 1, remembering that like a tree planted by the waters, those who stay in God's presence and way find blessings and life. We're going to keep exploring other aspects of the created world these next few weeks, and my hope 
is that you feel a renewed sense of connection with God's created goodness, and that it will invite you to know God's love more fully, deeply, and see your own participation in the resurrection all around you. As the trees of the field clap their hands, so we praise God. Amen.